You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. morning. Good to be with you guys. Man, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? Man, it is great. It is great. Well, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up or your digital device. Uh, We're in Joshua chapter 2. Last week I was in Joshua chapter 1. And uh, today we're going to be learning again from a giant in the faith. And so we're going to be learning about the lady named Rahab. Anybody ever heard of the story of Rahab? Raise your hand. Um, Great. And a lot of folks have heard about her. And uh, so um, this is a cool case study of life and leadership. Today's message is called uh, Rahab's Redemption. Um, the, the heartbeat of this church, uh, the heartbeat, I believe, of the Christian faith is a story of redemption. Um, that cross that you see out in the courtyard, that is a, a sign and a simple a symbol of redemption. And it's an exact replica of the one in New York City that when the Twin Towers fell to the ground out of the rubble, emerged this massive, beautiful, powerful steel cross. And the message to all the first responders and the message to the people in New York and the message to our country was that God is with us in the midst of a ground zero. And uh, when we hit hard times and hardships, we can look to a holy, good God. And so today, we're going to find this beautiful, powerful story of a woman by the name of Rahab and see her redemption in it. It's a really cool story. Um, I came to faith in Jesus Christ when I was 18 years old and have dedicated my life to serve Jesus and live for Jesus. And I'm imperfect in so many different ways, struggle like everybody else. I remember not too long ago, I was sitting with a guy and you might think he's a shady character. And he said, Pastor Ryan, one thing I love about you is you're just like me. And I'm like a little better. I'm like, I hope I'm a little better, you know, uh, but I'm, I, I want to be uh, authentic, real, true. I struggle in my marriage, probably just like you. If you say you have no struggles in your marriage, you're just a liar. And uh, if, you str- if you say you don't struggle in parenting, you're just lying. Everybody struggles with something. There is resistance around us and we have challenges and, and hardships that we're going to go through. But What we're learning in this pandemic is that God is using this church and other churches around the country and the Christian faith to persevere, to get with it, to keep moving forward. And there's going to be a lot of redemption out of the 2020 time frame. Amen? There's going to be a lot of redemption in that. And one of the things that we have to hold on to and hold up is a storyline of redemption in the lives of people. And so you're going you're gonna to find a, a woman today in the story of Scripture who's probably very offensive to you and uh, very questionable in character. And then we're going to see God in his grace and his mercy just say, I'm going to use that individual for a powerful storyline for all eternity. So Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24, and we'll jump straight into it. And remember the storyline, I'll just... Uh, Uh, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. Uh, Perhaps uh, some two million Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Pharaoh is furious. Pharaoh and his uh, soldiers have been wiped out when the Red Sea split. They crossed and 
the waves came crashing down. And then the Israelites are crossing and moving forward, but they wander for like 40 years. And then Moses dies because he's basically got anger issues. And then Joshua is the new leader. And that's who, what we learned about last week, the storyline of Joshua. And so Joshua has got this uh, mission and this mantle of leadership to say, go, go to the promised land that I've called for you. And so Joshua sends out some spies, and we're going to see that they wind up in this place called Jericho. So chapter 2, verses 1, all the way to 24. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, I heard some snickers when I said Shittim. That's a bad place to be from. I guess if you're from Shittim, you're a Shittimite. I would never want to be that guy. I tried to come up with a different way to pronounce this, but I couldn't get past it. So I said, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. And for all the junior hires in the room, they're not going to let me get through this. So I'm just going to say, yeah, that's kind of awkward. But hey, that's where they're from. And then the command is, Joshua says, go view the land, especially Jericho. Jericho is a powerful city, a wonderful city uh, on the outside, a terrible city, an ugly city on the inside. This uh, uh, This is a city of all sorts of evil and wickedness internally. They worship pagan gods, like a god called, called Moloch. They would do children uh, sacrifices. They would, in order to appease the god of their day, they would take a newborn child and put it in a boiling pot, let the child be boiled to death, take the bones, crush the bones, put it into the foundation of the home, and say their home was blessed. God hates evil. God hates wickedness. And God gave many uh, uh, um, mandates to turn away from their evil practices, and they never did. Um, Jericho, beautiful city, fertile land, pretty area, wicked and corrupt on the inside. So here's what we see is, uh, they say, go view the land, especially Jericho. Joshua is the leader of the Israelites, sends out two spies. And look what it says, and they went and came into the house of a, help me out here, prostitute, whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Like, if I sent two guys out and they're like, yeah, well, we lodged over there at Rahab's house. I'm like, time out. You should not go do that. Probably not a good thing. Uh, You know, that's just kind of like, imagine we send out a mission trip and everybody just pulls off at the strip club and they're like, well, we're over here. (laughs) Probably something's wrong with that picture. You wonder what's going on. Here's the cool thing about the storyline of Scripture is God God surprises us with his sovereignty. Uh, I'm constantly surprised by the sovereignty of God. Big, Big theological word. Basically, it just means that God's in control of everything. There's no coincidences, there's, there's sovereignty. God's sovereign, he holds all things together is what Colossians says, is that everything in him and through him is, he, he holds in his hands. Jesus was there in the beginning of the foundation of the creation of the earth, he's, he's there. Let us make man in our image. And God said it has created all these things and it was good, it was good. God's created everything, orchestrated everything. Like I said last week, God is the orchestrator of opportunity. 
And here's an opportunity. Uh, Rahab is a prostitute. Uh, Many people in this day and time would have had to go into prostitution. Just like today's times when strippers go to the strip clubs, they don't go there just because they... Uh, think that's a cool job. Many of the uh, ladies that go into that work, they're doing it for what? Cash. They fell on hard times. They've got kids at home and they know they can make a ton of money if they just do this. This is a shameful position and station in life. She's lowered herself to this. What's mind-boggling to me is how did her dad let her do that? Where was dad in that? Well, well, when you have a pagan culture um, and, and there's all sorts of gods and there's gods of fertility, they had uh, uh, basically uh, sex temples, temples for prostitution, and uh, part of their worship was this. I mean, this was a twisted culture. And Rahab is a prostitute, and the spies go there. I'm like, as if I, when I'm first reading this, I'm like, why would you go there? That is a dangerous place. Doesn't God care about, like, staying holy and being sexually pure? Like, what's going on here? But Rahab had a powerful position. Um, She was very much in cahoots or in relations with the king, the royal officials of those days and times would visit the prostitutes and uh, use them at their disposal. So would a lot of the military, uh, so would a lot of the civil officials. I mean, this is a corrupt, uh, weird uh, society and uh, system. And Rahab had a lot of intel, if you will. She, She knew what went on, not just in the walls of Jericho, but way beyond. Because I can imagine the late night client conversations of people telling them, have you seen what, have you seen what the, have you heard about these other kings and these other cities and locations? Have you heard the conversations, Rahab? They've got big armies, especially the Israelites. Uh, Rahab, do you recall the story? We heard a rumor about a God who, who split the Red Sea and uh, Egypt came after them, but the Israelites walked across on dry land. Rahab knew the stories. She she had a family, I guess, who betrayed her, turned her out and said, make some money. And so she did. And she's a prostitute and she lives right in the the section of the city wall. These city walls would have been massive walls and there were little buildings inside of these walls and she lives in the wall. So she could have seen people coming and going. She had intel uh, uh, insight about who's coming and going from this city. The spies wind up there. I don't know what the Holy Spirit was doing with these spies. Maybe like, imagine that, like you're going along, hey, Joshua said we should go. We got to find this place. We got to spy out this land. And one guy goes, oh, dang, look at that girl up there. Man, she's pretty. And the guy goes, I think the Lord's leading us up there. (laughs) And that guy's like, the other guy's like, no, man, that's a prostitute's house. I don't know what the conversation was, but that's what happened. They, they get there. They go there. And I don't know, I would have been the guy who would have been like, Joshua's going to kick our butt when we get back. Like, this is not good. But somehow, God's sovereignty surprises all of us. And so, verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho about what happened. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Red alert, red alert. Red alert, the Israelites are powerful people now. They're not just the little uh, scrawny, uh, feeble little Jews. It was a powerful nation. 
A nation that's got God's divine favor upon them. A nation whose God uh, can split the Red Sea and, and break the bondage of Egypt's uh, tyranny and power. So the king finds out these Israelites are there. And verse 3, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search all the land. The king had intel. He had, he had uh, uh, individuals and uh, ambassadors always on behalf of Jericho probably going out, trying to keep some level of uh, foreign policy uh, in negotiations, trying to figure things out. And he had people on the inside and it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all, I'm sure for you, if the king probably sent men to Rahab to acquire information. Hey, go spend a little time with Rahab. See what she knows. So Rahab is uh, in close relations with the royal officials. She's a beautiful lady. She's very smart. She's uh, very intelligent. She's got a terrible family. And she's probably dealing with all sorts of levels of shame, but she has this sense that God's at work with these people called the Israelites. And so what we see here is uh, her act of faith, verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. These are the Israelite spies. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. <clears throat> liar, liar, pants on fire. She knows where they're from. Verse 5, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She gave them a little uh, uh, shot of courage right there. Hey, boys, just go out there and look for them. You'll find them. I bet you can do it. You guys were like, ha, ha, thank you, Rohab. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order uh, on the roof. So she has the men look. She says, I don't know where they are. I know the king's looking for these guys. Don't worry, we're good. Everything's good here. Yeah, they came, but they left. Little did she want to volunteer the information. Actually, they're on the roof. I hid them on the roof. Verse 7, so the men pursued after them. These are the king's men, uh, all the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. These are the Israelites. She said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. It's like, ta-da, epiphany. She knows. She has a constant, she has a very collective and cool knowledge. She says, I know the Lord's given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon all uh, us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. In other words, the city's terrified. Jericho, there's probably a quiet rumbling, and this is why the king is on edge in a sense, because he doesn't want to lose his kingdom. And verse 10, for we have heard, look at that, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who went beyond uh, the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, she said, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. 
in heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's a statement of God's sovereignty. This is a woman who, um, by all means, is steeped in pagan religion, uh, 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 a polytheistic culture, meaning they believe in many gods, and she's probably seen the wickedness of it and the evil of it, and she's tired of the shame. She hears about the true God, the God of the Israelites, and she's probably perhaps excited, inspired, motivated, hopeful, uh, and probably thinking, I've got to protect myself here. My dad never protected me. My dad kind of urged me to get into this line of prostitution. She's probably longing for dignity and value, and she's been ashamed in her line of duty. And she is now saying that she knows about this God, and she goes so far to talk about how he's a sovereign God over the heavens above and the earth beneath. Verse 12. She's going to say something because she's smart. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord, and she uses her God. She says, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. What's remarkable about Rahab is that she doesn't just stick up for herself. She talks about her father's house. I bet if you were Rahab, I don't know if you would want to think about your father. Um, considering the fact that the father's responsibility back then and is still today is to make sure the family's protected. Rahab wasn't protected. She was prostituted. But Rahab says that she wants her, her father's house. It means everybody in the family to be dealt kindly with. Verse 13, she's speaking to these Israelites. She knows they have divine power. She knows that God's going to use them to overcome Jericho. And then if she doesn't strike a deal with them, they're dead. Verse 13, Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. In verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you did not tell this, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we'll deal kindly and faithfully with you. In other words, they're saying, it's a deal. You've been kind to us. You didn't turn us in when the king's men came looking for us. You could have, and we would have been put to death. You were kind to us, we'll be kind to you. You've got a deal, Rahab. She had to be feeling pretty good about herself. I mean, she just heard rumors and reports about the God of Israel. She probably had been longing, perhaps, and maybe God honored her heart, and maybe God honored her prayers. She wanted deliverance. She wanted out of this wicked, sick system called Jericho and her family's issues. And God is going to deliver her and redeem her and brings these guys, which beyond their better judgment, wind up at her house, surprised by God's sovereignty. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope. She's letting them go through the window for her house, uh, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Verse 16, and she said to them, uh, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, uh, you may go your way. She's telling them, she's giving them an escape plan. She's telling them how to avoid the king's men. How would she know all this? She's 
very closely associated with the king in all sorts of intimate ways, I'm sure. And she has a very uh, much a, a keen sense of understanding and insight as the, the maneuvers, the tactics of the military, the, the, uh, the, uh, the armed individuals of this time. And she was, by the way, she was on the wall. So she saw everything that came and went. Verse 16 um, and then she said to them, go into the hills, pursuers will encounter you, hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, then afterward you may go your way. Verse 17, the men said to her, uh, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Verse 18, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window uh, through which you let us down and you shall... Gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and your father's household. And in other words, what they're giving her a very clear instruction that the very scarlet cord that she uh, lowered them down from their window so they could escape is the very sign and the signal in which the Israelites, when they come marching into Jericho, that's going to be the sign. That's going to be the symbol of anybody part of Rahab's family. They're going to be kept safe. Don't touch them. And that scarlet cord, by the way, that scarlet thread is a sign and a symbol all throughout Scripture, ultimately, of the work of Jesus Christ. That anybody who is in Christ is safe. You're going to be protected. You're going to be blessed when you're in Christ. And so look what we find here. Uh, coming down into verse 19. Then if anyone goes out of these doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Verse 20. But if you tell this business of ours, we shall be guiltless with respect to your, to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed, verse 22, they departed in and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, the king's men returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found what? Nothing. Why? Because of Rahab. Rahab protected them. She gave them the information in which they needed to escape. Verse 23, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua. The Israelites have returned. These two spies go back to Joshua, the commander, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. Very interesting to me because I can't imagine that conversation. It's not like Joshua had sent them out there like, hey, you're going to hang out with Rahab, you know. Uh, but these guys, they, they come back and they tell, they give a report. Verse 24, they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. In other words, they're terrified. In other words, we got this. See, earlier, uh, remember when Moses uh, had sent out spies, they went to go spy out the land, and the report came back to Moses and all the Israelites, and they said, they're too big. We're terrified. They'll kill us. There's no way we can take the land. Now, Joshua sends out two spies. They come back, and they say, we got this. We're good. They're terrified of us. And so what we learn in the story of Rahab is that actually the Israelites do come marching in. 
uh, in unconventional methods, they take Jericho down, and Rahab and her family is saved. All of them are saved. And then they become part of this beautiful tapestry of God's purpose and plan, which still has a ripple effect to today's time. And so what I want to do is I want to uh, share with you four uh, ways in which we see how she transitioned from sinner to saint. And when I mean saint, I don't mean in the Catholic sense of saint, like a saint. I just mean a a Christian uh, uh, who's uh, uh, following the Lord or a believer who's following the Lord. And so what we see here is, number one, is Rahab's redemption is, number one, she understood that no mess is ever too much for God's mercy. No mess is ever too much for God's mercy. You may be here today and think you're in such a mess that there's no way God could bail you out. That's not true. Think about Rahab. This is a a young lady, a beautiful lady who's been pushed into prostitution because of hard times. Her family has abandoned her, and then she is going to uh, call out on the God of Israel, and in doing so, is opening herself up for attack uh, to be put to death because she's perhaps uh, aligning with a foreign nation and a God in which they They've cut out, and they said, we don't want anything to do with the God of Israel. Um, Rahab had a messy situation. She had a terrible father, a terrible mom, a terrible family who, I guess, just was comfortable with the idea that she would do this. No mass is ever too much for God's mercy. Rahab believed in a God of mercy. Lamentations tells us, the book of Lamentations tells us that God's mercy is new every single day. I don't know how you went to bed last night or the day before or the weeks before, but when you're overwhelmed with discouragement and doubt and depressed, you need to be quoting Scripture and remember that God's mercy is new every single day for you and for me. And as a Christian, the Christian life is the best life because we get God's mercy. And part of the transformation of Christian life, it does take time, but we got to remember as Christians, no one's perfect. Everyone sins, but we've got to rely on God's mercy all the time. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth and in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it talks about uh, all their sexual immorality, their drunkenness, their uh, swindlers and cheats and all that stuff. And then Paul says, you know what? You all came out of that lifestyle. I mean, Corinth was like the church gone wild. That's what it was. It, it's, a, it's a church went crazy off the deep end. And the Apostle Paul wrote, and basically, all of you came out of this lifestyle. To me, what's hard is the older you get in your Christian faith, sometimes you can distance yourself from those that are perhaps a little questionable in character. And then as a Christian church, what we can do is become overly judgmental and minimize God's mercy. But how about magnifying God's mercy more? How about being all the more optimistic when we see people that are struggling and go, yeah, but God's mercy could clean that up. You know, I used to pray oftentimes, Lord, would you uh, put the, the biggest drunkard and cheat in our city into our church and they get transformed by the power and the mercy of Jesus. See, I want to be around people that come from tough backgrounds from time to time because it reminds me of just where, where I came from. I, I, I was a cheat. I was a liar. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand God's mercy. And, and so what happened was I saw people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought, man, I need that. And so uh, what 
happened with Rahab is she believed in God's mercy. She, she believed that God could actually do something powerful. I, I think there's hope on the horizon in Rahab's mind because dad didn't provide it. Mom didn't provide it. She was probably terrified and, and, and frustrated with all the wicked practices that they were doing sexually and with the children and the sacrifices. I mean, it was appalling. And she believe that no mess is ever too much for God's mercy. So you're, you might be in a marriage mess. You might be in a financial mess. You might be in some kind of mess relationally with family and friends, or you may know somebody that's in a big mess. Well, like, start praying for God's mercy to start overwhelming that situation. So remember, in this transformation process, always remember no mess is ever too much for God's mercy. God's mercy is more than enough for you and me. Number two, the fear of the Lord always leads to life. This is a healthy concept for you to realize that fear of God is very important. Right now, we have a fear-stricken culture, but we're not afraid of God. We're afraid of a pandemic. We're not afraid of of, uh, God. We're afraid of people judging us. We're not afraid of God. We're afraid of other people. We're afraid of being sick. Bible tells us you shouldn't even be afraid of death. Your greatest fear in life ought to be God. The most successful people in all the world, including myself at times, their greatest fear is actually a fear of failure. But it not ought to be that way for the believer. The greatest fear you and I ought to have is God. Why? Because he's almighty, he's all-powerful, he's completely holy, he's the maker of heaven and earth, he puts you here for a reason, and you dismiss him by chance, uh, and oftentimes, and you treat him like a good grandpa. Like, hey, grandpa, I'm so glad to see you today. What do you have for me today? Um, I would like this, I would like that. And grandpas are nice, right? Sure, kid, you have whatever you want. And then go back to your mom and dad, spoiled. And, and don't get me wrong, like it's not a bad thing necessarily to think of uh, God like a grandpa, but he's not an enabling grandpa. He's not gonna spoil us. Some of us treat God like a cosmic consultant. And consultants, you hire and you fire. Consultants, you take their advice or what? Accept it or reject it. That's not God. He's not your cosmic consultant. He's not your good grandpa. He's God Almighty. And so you've got a question to ask yourself, do I fear the Lord in my life? Did you know what Proverbs says in chapter 1? It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You want wisdom? You want to be a wise person or a foolish person? Wise people fear God. I would say uh, uh, the reason, the why I am, the way I am, if you see anything good in me at all, I have a sense of fear. Like, I got, I'm accountable to God in this whole thing um, called the Christian life. Uh, as a parent, I feel accountable to God for my kids. As a husband, I feel accountable to God for, for my marriage. As a pastor, I feel accountable to God for the church and the congregation and the staff. So fear the Lord, Rahab did. 
Rahab literally was afraid to death, like scared to death. She didn't want to be like one of those Egyptians running across the sea in fury and rage and the sea comes crashing down on him. So the fear of the Lord always leads to life. That's what the scripture tells us. And most of us, Proverbs 29, 25 says, is that we fear man. And that's like a trap. Because somebody's always got something to say. And you're never going to make anybody happy. Not everybody happy. And so we just got to figure out how to lead a life that's more in fear with God, less of man. Wise people fear God, fools don't. Um, fools don't, don't, don't worry about God a lot. But there is this day called the judgment day that's going to happen. And we got to come face to face with the Lord. So my encouragement to you is don't be afraid in this time so much about a pandemic. Don't be afraid so much in time about being sick. Don't be afraid so much about what other people think about you right now. Be afraid of what God thinks about you right now. Be thinking like, am I really honoring God in my life? Do I really live for you or not? Do I treat you like a cosmic consultant or just a good old grandpa? And he says, I'm the king of glory. Don't treat me like that. So the fear of the Lord is, 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 is the beginning of wisdom. And I want you to be wise. Wise people fear God. Fools don't, don't fear God. Number three, uh, truth is revealed in time. Uh, Rahab's story would unfold into this incredible, beautiful tapestry, which ultimately leads to the climax of seeing that she's uh, part of the genealogical line of Jesus Christ. Rahab's heart was true. She genuinely had faith in God. And the storyline of Scripture includes her in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith with all these great leaders, all the giants. You get Rahab. And you're like, yeah, but she was a prostitute. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, but she was a liar. Yeah, she lied. But, but who's perfect? Nobody's perfect. So what you get is magnified mercy in a person's life. I guarantee you, when you walk the streets of heaven one day and you say, hey, I want to find Rahab. Where is she? Let me spend a little time with Rahab. Rahab's going to come up to you and be like, yeah, I lied. Shouldn't have lied. God used it. Surprised by sovereignty. You'll be walking the streets of heaven talking to Rahab. Rahab's going to tell you, yeah, I was, a, I was a sinner, but I believed in the God of mercy and he made me a saint. She's in, the role, she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. How, how good is that of our God who can take a prostitute, a shameful position? What hope should that bring me and you as Christians in this church and other churches? Like, man, our storyline is pretty amazing as Christians. That God doesn't look for the uber-educated or, or the super-classy and all put together while there are plenty of those individuals in the, in the Christian church, and that's great. However... We got folks like Rahab, a prostitute, who's a part of the storyline of Scripture, commended for her faith. James, the brother of Jesus, basically says she's a case study for you and me on how to live the Christian life, to go out and take a risk. And she's thinking of others. I mean, what does she do? She immediately, what's crazy and cool about her story is she vouches for her family right off the bat, right when she knows that there could be a disaster. She says, I want you to protect my family. Uh, about you. What about you? 
maybe some people don't believe in your spiritual progress in your Christian life, or maybe um, you're new to the Christian faith and people are starting to question what's going on in your faith or in your work environment. People are like, oh, you call yourself a Christian, and then, and so what are you, are you really living it out? Well, guess what? Truth and time always go hand in hand. Just be patient. You know how many times that probably Rahab was called a whore or called a prostitute or some woman of the night after she had placed her faith in the Lord. And you can imagine the shame that would come washing over her again. But what does she do? She just keeps moving forward. And the story of Scripture tells us in Joshua chapter 6 that she lived in Israel, married another believer, and God redeemed everything that was lost. That's a cool story. That's the story of my life. I've been redeemed. I've been changed. I've been sanctified. At my lowest point, that's when I found God. And so this is a message of hope. And for you, hang in there. Truth is always revealed in time. If you want to know the truth about somebody, give them time. Time. Takes time. Rahab's life was revealed through time. Number four, I want to challenge you to go with what you know and just step out in faith. That's exactly what Rahab did. She just went with what she knew. She didn't have a Bible laying around in her quarters. Um, She had clients, perhaps in the late night conversations, telling her about this God of Israel. She'd sleep with them, and then after she was done sleeping with them, she'd probably say, can you tell me more about what you saw with the nation of Israel? What's, What's the story? What are they saying about God? She has no scriptures. She has nothing. But yet, when the two spies show up, she says, your God is the God. That's the God of all heaven and all earth. Her mom didn't teach her that. Her dad didn't teach her that. Her uncle didn't teach her that. The king's uh, religion outlawed that. Where, Where did she get that? Rahab was a seeker. She was seeking truth. The Bible says, if you knock, the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Sometimes you may feel a little timid to go out on a limb and do something for God because you think you don't know enough. Remember Rahab. She goes for it. She goes for it so much that she basically puts herself out there and risks everything by telling her mom and her dad what she did. As soon as she would say, well, I took the spies in and I actually housed them for a little bit. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to huddle up in my home. Uh, The Israelites are coming. And I can imagine a brother or an uncle like, Rahab, you're stupid. You do that. And what if they don't come? What if if they come and, and then they find out, the king finds out that you actually housed them? All of us will be put to death. Rahab took an incredible risk in sharing with her family this plan and what she was going to do to preserve and to protect them. Dad didn't step up and protect, but Rahab did. Some of you are called to be the Rahabs. You're, you're, you're the one that the odds were against you and God's used you. He's called you up, and then now you're being used to save other people and to help other people. And you're going to have to step out on faith. And some of you say, well, I don't know enough. Rahab didn't know a lot. She didn't really know all the scriptures. She had every reason in the world to kind of say, I'm going to stay in the shadows of shame rather than to step out in the, in the faith 
world. And so I just want to challenge you, would you go with what you know? A lot of you don't know a whole lot about the Bible. That's okay. If you got the Holy Spirit, you got, you got a lot. You have an English translation of the Scripture, that's good. If you can read, that's great. If you hang around a Christian friend or two without being persecuted for your faith, that's amazing. You got enough to go with what you know, step out in faith. And should you dedicate yourself to knowing the scriptures? Absolutely, absolutely you should. But I want to challenge you to go with what you know and step out in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message would speak to the hearts and to the minds of people here, men, women, and children, and youth, Father, that they would step out in faith and just go for it. And whatever that it is, I don't know, Lord, but I do know that you're in the business of redeeming. And Father, for those that feel so far gone and ashamed of their past, would today, would you bring over a tidal wave of your mercy in, in, this, in this time? Thank you for the story of Rahab, and we pray, Father, that uh, your mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit would come afresh on us today. And Lord, for all of those that are in tough situations and shadows of shame, I pray, Father, that we would help uh, bring light and ministry and comfort in those times. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.